Amen. Good morning. Good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device and go to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 is where we're going to start out this morning. We're going to take a, a quick three-week break from our series through the gospel according to Matthew. And we're going to take a look at Romans, the, the whole book over these next three weeks, um, to really get a glimpse and a picture of, of why our church exists. There's really only one reason we're looking at Romans during this time. And it's to show us what a gospel-centered church is. What, how, how, what a, how a gospel-centered church acts and what a gospel-centered church does. Uh, sometimes we can use the phrase gospel-centered and not really know what it means. So over these next three weeks, we're gonna look at this is what our church is, what we wanna be, a gospel-centered church. And here's where it begins. We gotta realize that the gospel isn't just a message um, that you hear once so you can get saved and you move on. It's not just a message for unbelievers, but it's a message for believers today, right now. We all need the gospel. To be gospel-centered is to realize what we've been singing, that Jesus still is my blessed assurance. Jesus still is mine. And it's not I, but Christ in me. All these things that we sing, this brings us to a gospel-centered understanding how the old, old story of how that king from glory was crucified for us raised from the dead to forgive us. We need to hear that every Sunday. We need that every day of our lives. Uh, We need to tell one another in the church and community that Jesus, because he lives, you can face your yesterday. And because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because the, the news of Jesus of Nazareth rising from the dead after he was crucified as the long awaited Messiah of Israel and ascending back to the Father, sending the Spirit, and his promise to return, this becomes the nutrients of the Christian life. Christ's work, past, present, and future, are the calories we need to run the Christian life and to run with endurance. And to be gospel-centered, it doesn't mean we don't care about parenting advice. It doesn't mean we don't care about wisdom for finances and relationships. Of course we do. But it means we care about those things in light of Christ and a light of his lordship over our lives and his wisdom and his power and his purposes in these things. And that's what Romans is gonna teach us, what it looks like to be a gospel-centered church, all of us together, what we believe, how we act, and what we do in the world. And if you're a member of Redeemer, this is to remind us and revive us again, this is what we're about. And if you're new to Redeemer, this is perfect. You can catch a vision for this is what Redeemer Church is about. And here's what we wanna be. We want to be beloved, a gospel-centered church for North Houston and the nations. For North Houston and the nations. We live in the most diverse city in the United States and America, one of the biggest cities in the world. And right here in our corner of North Houston, we want to make a gospel impact. Yes, through our church on Sundays and activities throughout the week, but in the way you live, that we would be gospel-centered people for North Houston and the nations. We're gonna talk more about that on the third week. And we're gonna do this by making disciples and making much of Jesus. That's our mission. We wanna teach people how to follow Jesus, encourage one another how to follow Jesus. And we wanna lift high the name of Jesus every single day by being a church that has gospel doctrine, with the gospel at the center of what we teach, integrating and everything else. We wanna be a gospel culture, that the way we act, the way we treat one another is informed with the gospel at the center. And then we want to be on gospel mission, 
how we evangelize, how we serve our neighbors, how we do acts of mercy and justice and kindness and love in the community with the gospel at the center. And we gotta have all three. If we don't have gospel doctrine, gospel culture, gospel mission, if they're not all connected, we'll go off base. A gospel-centered church has all three with the gospel at the center. If we don't have gospel doctrine, if we don't have the right beliefs, but we, have, uh, we love one another and, and we're on mission, what will happen is we could drift into liberalism and then just look like the world. But if we, have, if we don't have gospel culture, if we don't love one another, but we believe the right stuff and then we, we're on mission together, you know what will happen? Is if we don't love one another, we'll be hypocrites. We'll be irrelevant. We'll be ignorable to the world. Why would anybody be interested in that? If we don't have gospel mission, but we believe the right stuff and we love one another, but we're not out loving our neighbors, we're not sharing the gospel, the church will die. The church will die in a generation, and it should. It's powerless. A gospel-centered church is humming on all three, and that's a revival-ready church with gospel doctrine, with gospel culture, and gospel mission. And today, the book of Romans is gonna show us that first one, our glorious gospel doctrine and what it looks like and what it does to Christians. Here's what we believe from the book of Romans. Romans 1. So let's stand together as we read the entire book of Romans this morning. Just kidding. Just a few verses to get us primed and ready. Beginning in verse one, Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, calls as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. What's it about? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now skip down to verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. Let's pray together. Father, help us now as we look at your word that we'd be eager, unashamed of the gospel, centered on the gospel, set apart for the gospel. We would believe the right things concerning the gospel. So help us now, King Jesus, to be a gospel-centered church. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Theologian Michael Byrd, who's an Australian theologian, draws this amazing analogy for what it, and metaphor for what it means to be gospel-centered. And I think it's so important to think about being gospel-centered because a lot of us, if we're not careful, we might be or we have been not gospel-centered people, but gospel-checkboxed people. We believed the gospel, I'm glad I'm forgiven, but now I wanna study eschatology and end times. Now I wanna get into deeper stuff. Now I wanna get into Calvinism. Now I wanna get into cessationism. Now I wanna get, that's not gospel-centeredness. We don't wanna be gospel checkboxed people where we think, okay, now I'm gonna move on to bigger stuff. Beloved, there is nothing bigger than the gospel. 
There is nothing more important than the gospel. As our Colossians Bible study that's kicking out this this week teaches, in Christ are hidden some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No, Colossians says in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's nothing bigger than Jesus. And Dr. Bird draws this analogy about being gospel-centered, gospel-integrated, gospel-awakened. And the phrase he uses, I love it, is gospelized. How to be a gospelized people. So here's his analogy. When, when you tenderize a piece of meat, what happens? Does just a segment of the meat, one bite, get tender and the rest is all tough? No, the whole thing's tenderized. The whole thing's impacted. If you sterilize a surgical instrument, a tool, the whole thing becomes sterile. If you magnetize a piece of metal, the whole piece becomes magnetic. And when you are gospelized, when you're gospel-centered your whole life, your hopes, your joys, your reflexes, your emotions, your thinking, your joy, your peace, your faith, your money, your parenting, your sexuality, your understanding of the universe is centered and formed and driven by the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. And that's why Paul says in verse 15, look at 15 again, when he says, I am eager to preach the gospel. I am eager to see you gospelized to this church at Rome. Paul didn't start this church. This is a brand new church that was founded. They don't really know who started it. But somehow a bunch of Christians are all in Rome because faithful Christians, everyday Christians, on their merchant ship routes, in their trade, in their work, in their travel, spread the gospel. And now Paul says, I'm going to teach you guys gospel doctrine to keep you on track, to keep you on the straight and narrow walking with Jesus. Because verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Even though the Greco-Roman culture thought it was a laughingstock, that you would follow a crucified man, that you guys would be brothers and sisters, that men and women are seen as equals, that slaves and freed are seen as equals now in Christ, that Jew and Gentile are seen as equals. No, Romans are superior. Paul says, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, even though everyone else may be ashamed of it because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, yes, they heard it first, but then also to Greeks. But before we dive in, let's realize one thing. As Paul is saying this, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Ask yourself, who's he talking to? Is he talking to non-Christians? Or is he talking to Christians here? He's talking to Christians. He's telling a group of Christians, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. So you know what that teaches us, beloved? A gospel-centered church realizes that the gospel is for Christians. The gospel's for Christians too. Yes, unbelievers, the gospel's for you. You need to hear it so you can repent and believe and be saved by the mercy of God. But Christian, you need to hear and believe and repent and receive the gospel so you too can be changed by the mercy and grace of God. The gospel is for Christians. And I love the way Ray Ortland defines the gospel. He, he says that God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all his people from the wrath of God into peace with God, with a promise of the full restoration of his created order forever, all to the praise of his glory and grace. This is what we believe, and this is what God is doing in the world, and the restoration of the created order is happens first in the local church. If you are a Christian, you are an echo of God's new creation order to come. 
God's process of remaking the universe begins here with you and me, with our changed lives. This is what Paul's gonna unpack for 16 chapters, the effects of the gospel, what it is, and all its dominoing effects. So flip to the end of Romans 16. Romans 16, 25, flip in your Bibles. Or if you don't have a Bible or you're just lazy, it's on the screen. Romans 16, 25. Look at what Paul, how he ends the book of, of Romans. Now to him, that's a, a, a phrase of worship. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. You see what Paul did? If you take Romans 1, 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel. And he ends Romans 16 with, so you see what the gospel does? It makes us strong. The whole book of Romans is about how the gospel shapes the world, how the gospel shapes Christians. How does God make us strong? Through spiritual disciplines? Yes. Through Bible reading? Yes. Through church attendance? Yes. That all brings you to the gospel that brings you to Christ. Do you see? Paul says, now to him who will strengthen you, and what does God use? How does God strengthen us? The preaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, the gospel is for Christians. We need that kind of gospel doctrine, realizing that yes, the God, that same message that saves us is the same message that changes us today. The gospel becomes our new operating system. Your phone, even if it's an Android, it has an operating system. Your laptop, even if it's Windows, has an operating system. It has rules and algorithms. It does this, does this. You do that, it does this. Boom, notification. There's a rhyme and reason to everything our computers and phones do. The Bible now says that the gospel becomes your operating system. There's examples of this all over the Bible. It's amazing. Example. The Bible says Christians should forgive one another. Why? Because that's what Christians do. No. The Bible says we forgive one another Because God in Christ forgave you. The gospel. That's a gospel operating system. The Bible says husbands and wives should treat each other a certain way. Why? Because it makes sense. It makes things less tense in the house. No. It says husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, was crucified for her. Gospel operating system. The Bible says Christians should not be self-centered and prideful. Why? Because it's annoying. Yes and no. It goes deeper. The Bible says we don't act that way because Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, a gospel operating system. That's how you know you're gospelized. Gospel-centered people begin to see that the gospel is our message. It's the main thing we have to talk about. It's the main place we find hope. It's the main thing we tell each other. You're forgiven in Christ. You're accepted in Christ. Your life is in a train wreck because of Christ. It's our model. How should we do this? How should I respond in the situation Christ shows us? It's our motivation. Why should we do that? Why should someone give up their summers and go to Guatemala, go to Japan? Why should someone give to missions? Why should someone repent? That's for forgiveness. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. 
how are we going to do all this? How am I going to obey? How am I going to read my Bible? How am I going to be faithful to Christ and faithful to my spouse and raise my kids? How am I going to do these things that the Bible asks? The means, the know-how. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians, the gospel is bearing fruit in you. And it's our mission. It's what we do. This is what Romans shows us. This is what every book of the New Testament shows us. I think everything in the New Testament is just a further explanation and unpacking of the gospel and what it does. The book of Acts is that in biography. Look at what the gospel does in the world. And look at what Paul realizes about himself in verse one. Look at verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, and look at this, and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul realizes about himself, my life is set apart for the gospel. And beloved, that's why you exist. You've been set apart for the gospel. That's why our church exists. We aren't here just to gather together, give money, sing some songs, and get an encouraging pep talk for the week. We are here because of the gospel, because there's a man who refused to stay dead one weekend in Jerusalem. And so now our whole lives are defined by him. And so Paul, he was set apart for the gospel as an apostle. There are no apostles in this room. But you, are set up, you may be set apart for the gospel as a grandmother. You may be set apart for the gospel as a truck driver. You may be set apart for the gospel as a working mom. You may be set apart for the gospel as a college student, as a salesman, as an insurance adjuster, as a manager. Whatever it is that you do, you have still been set apart for the gospel to advance it, to tell others about it, to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ in it, and to show one another, hey, here's how Christ reorders our lives with his good news. Because news always does this. When 9-11 happened, it reordered our lives. It has forever changed the way we travel. It has forever changed the way Americans think in some good ways and in some bad ways. And when you, if you're a parent, when you find out you're having a baby, it reordered your life. You didn't hear you were having a baby and thought, oh, hmm, okay, same as always. No, everything changes. Your sleep changes. Your finances change. Your room colors change. Your nights change. Your, your excuses change. Now you have a great excuse to get out of all kinds of stuff. Oh, the baby. I can't. The baby. News changes your life. Listen, and when a birth announcement happened in the Garden of Eden, prophesied there to Adam and Eve, your life was going to change. And when the Virgin Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, your life changed. And when Jesus died in, on, on the cross in your place, paying for your sins and rose as the firstborn from the dead, your life got reordered around him. Is that true of you, though? Or is the gospel just something on the timeline of your life that doesn't really matter today? This is what concerns me so much about doing ministry in the Bible Belt in the suburbs even. As a lot of us, we can end up treating the gospel, the news of Jesus' death and resurrection, and that in fact I believed it, as just something on the calendar, on the timeline of my life. Whatever it was for you, if it was fourth grade or, or middle school, high school, college, that that event, you being born again with Christ, is just as much power to you as your swim team trophy does in fourth grade. That the news of the gospel has just as much relevance on your life as your yearbook in high school. 
I wonder how many of us treat the gospel that way. When's the last time you went and looked at your yearbook for inspiration? If you didn't, come, if you do that, come see me and talk to you. You gotta get your life in order, I mean. But a lot of us view the gospel that way. Totally, I believe that, but it has no bearing on my life today. That's not the way the gospel operates. The gospel is not a moment in our spiritual yearbooks. It becomes our manual, our power for life, where Christ becomes our shepherd, our leader, and our Lord, where we can say with Paul in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God that it is unto salvation. Are you ashamed of the gospel? If it's not an active reality in your life, in your heart, in mind, you may be. We're ashamed of the gospel when we're afraid to talk about it. We're ashamed of the gospel when we're disinterested in it. We're ashamed of the gospel when we spend more money on coffee than we do acts of charity. We're ashamed of the gospel when our social life and kids' sports become more important than our church life. We're ashamed of the gospel when we spend more time mindlessly flipping on our phones than we do in prayer. If we believe it is the power of God to save all people, that our gospel doctrine really is rocket fuel for revival, causing people to be born again and causing Christians to lift up their heads and enjoy the grace of God, then everything changes. And that's what Paul does here in the rest of the book of Romans, showing us, look at what gospel doctrine does. So let's take a quick flyover of some key verses in Romans, Romans 1 through 11, summarizing and presenting gospel doctrine. This is what we're just going to see. Here's what Christians believe. This is what gospel doctrine is. So hope your tray tables are up, seatbelt sign is on. Romans 1 and 2. What's Romans 1 and 2 all about? God will judge sinners. His invisible attributes had been made known to the world. He's made it plain to them. We've seen that we're great sinners, all of us. Romans 1 and 2 says, and the wrath of God is barreling towards humanity. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. This teaches us that if we're gonna be true about our gospel doctrine, that then a gospel-centered church is serious about the truth. We don't hide any of it. We don't ignore any of it. A gospel-centered church is serious about the truth. That's why we preach through books of the Bible. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we tell one another what's in the Bible because we're serious about the truth. The truth that there is judgment for sin and also the truth that Romans 3 teaches us that there is hope, that there is hope to be saved. As Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that you can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus because God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. But now, verse 26, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous, the one who has faith in Jesus. So Romans 3 says, friends, we're all sinners. We've all failed to clear the jump. We didn't stick the landing. But there is hope. You can be justified, the Bible says. You can be declared righteous freely. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn it. You can buy it. You don't have to try to earn your way to get it from God. He just gives it to you freely by faith. And the death and resurrection of his son. 
he'll declare you righteous. I, I love on the episode of The Office when Michael Scott, he has mismanaged his finances so poorly. And his friend tells him, you're going to have to declare bankruptcy to get out of this situation. So he walks out of his office and he just yells, I declare bankruptcy. And they're like, Michael, that's not how it works. You can't just yell it. He says, I didn't yell it. I declared it. Like, no, that's not how it works. There are actual financial maneuvers have to happen. Things have to be done for you to get out of this predicament you're in. And so when the Bible says that in verse 26, he can declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. It is not an empty declaration of God saying you're righteous. There have been maneuvers, things transacting in place so you can be declared righteous. And it happened at the cross where Jesus takes all of your sin, all of your grime, it's all put on him and he dies. And the father then takes his righteousness and then puts it on you. The great exchange of sin for righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5 says, where now the father looks at you and he says, righteous because of my son. God did the transaction for you to be declared righteous. You can be declared not guilty by God and you can live it every day with joy and confidence. A gospel-centered church is serious about grace. When you believe this, you'll see that a, you see grace matters. Grace is a big deal and it's credited, Romans 4 says, it's credited to you by faith. Romans chapter four is all about Father Abraham who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And you can be one of them too, not by circumcision, not by obedience to the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's not the kid's version totally. That'd be a little long. doesn't rhyme as well, but that's what Romans 4 is all about. How will we become sons and daughters of Abraham? By faith, not by circumcision, not by law keeping. As he says in Romans 4, that Paul, that, I'm sorry, that Abraham believed God, God credited to him his righteousness. So us, it will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. He was crucified for our sins and he was raised from the dead for us. So here's, here's what gospel doctrine's teaching us. Gospel doctrine says you don't try to earn anything from God. You can't. It will be credited to you by faith in Christ. The living Christ can make every one of us whole. If you believe he was nailed to the cross for your sins to pay for them and he was raised from the dead to make you righteous, it's wired to your account, credited to you. You've, we've all received credits back from a store, from a company, from a credit card company, get a credit back. Well, there is an off universe bank account of God's mercy where he is willing to credit and to wire you all the righteousness you need to be saved. And guess what? No hidden fees. No gotchas given to all who believe. Christianity is one of the greatest deals on the planet. And this teaches us that a gospel-centered church, we rely on the gospel. We don't try to do anything else to interact with God, any other way of getting to God, only the gospel, only his mercy, only his love. And that's what Romans 5 is about, that God proves his love. In Romans 5, Paul shows how sin entered the world through one man's disobedience in the garden, Adam. But now there's another man, 
through righteousness can enter the world through him, through God's son, the Christ. And that's why Paul says in Romans 5, 6 through 8, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Man, I love that verse. If you know you're helpless and know you're ungodly, Jesus says, I can save you. If you think you got your life together and you're actually a pretty good person, Jesus says, I guess you don't need me. I came for the helpless and the ungodly. Verse seven, for rarely someone will die for a just person. They don't need it. Though for a good person, someone might even dare to die. But verse eight, but God proves his own love. God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, not when we were good people, not when we had it all together, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Beloved, at the heart of gospel doctrine is the love of God for helpless people. At the heart of our gospel doctrine is the love of God for helpless people. That word helpless is so insightful. We gotta really grapple with this word helpless. It can also be translated crippled. It's used that way throughout the New Testament. Read it that way. For while we were still crippled, unable to get anywhere, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Or it could be translated without strength. While we were still without strength. It could be translated imperfect. We were still imperfect or inefficient or without energy. Christ died for the helpless. A gospel-centered church realizes it exists for the helpless. A gospel-centered church realizes we are just a bunch of helpless people who have been helped by Christ, and we invite other helpless people to find help in him. See, gospel doctrine isn't for people who have their act together. It's for people who don't have their act together. The grace of God is for the inefficient, for those who just can't get it done. And God proves his own love for us. While we were still sinners, not when we were good people, still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we're helpless, we have help now. As Romans 6 teaches us, we're alive. As Romans 6, you may have famously heard, it says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works now. That's not what our gospel doctrine teaches us. While we were helpless outside of Christ, now in Christ, we have the help we need. As Romans 6, 8 through 11 says, if we've died with Christ, if you're a Christian, we believe that we also live with him. Because we know, gospel doctrine, we know Christ having been raised from the dead will not die again. Death no, longer has, death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So since that is true, so you too. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Gospel doctrine teaches us freedom. You've been set free from sin. Jesus' death and rising again was your death and rising again. When Jesus walked out of that body bag on Easter morning, the, your sin stayed behind. And you've been raised to newness of life with Christ. What plagued you is now powerless over you. And the Bible says you gotta see yourself this way. Dead to sin. You aren't defeated. Your sins are. You're alive to God. Gospel doctrine teaches us to lean into the power of the risen Jesus for everyday life. A gospel-centered church leans into the living Christ. Whether it's your work, I don't know what to do, I need help, you lean into Christ. 
It's your parenting. I don't, I don't know how to navigate this. We lean into Jesus. You're anxious. I need sleep. You lean into Jesus. You're eating, your conflict, your, your traffic, your anger management, whatever. I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ because I know that as Romans 7 and 8 teaches, I'm a great sinner with a greater Savior. Amen. Romans 7, Paul goes through this great lament of his own inability to consistently choose what honors God. You may have heard this. Romans 7, Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I do them. Can anybody relate to that? Amen. Paul then says, the things that I want to do, I don't do them. Can anybody relate to that? That's the Christian experience. And Paul gets very personal and he applies it and he says, gospel doctrine, he ends up saying, what a wretched man I am if that's true of me. He sees it, he knows it, he's lamenting it. And he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? I don't wanna be this way anymore. Who can fix me? And what does he say? Gospel doctrine, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who will fix me. That's who will save me. And he flies into one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible, Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Christian, you are uncondemnable. Relax. You can relax. You can exhale. You've been set free by mercy. You're uncondemnable. The the condemned tape has been taken off your house. The X of condemnation spray painted on your front door has been painted over by the blood of Christ. And he will pass over you. Once in Christ, always in Christ. So now you can relax and you can run your race. Because you are no longer condemned. And what I love about a gospel-centered church is a gospel-centered church realizes we are a bunch of exonerated spiritual ex-cons. That is what every single one of us is. We are all spiritual ex-cons. We did the crimes. We've done some time. But we've been exonerated by the mercy of God. So, welcome. An exonerated group of ex-cons. And a true understanding of the gospel will lead to joy and, and confidence in Christ. This is what the rest of the chapter of Romans 8 is. You'll live by the Spirit. God is going to work all things together for your good. You're now more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing because God is sovereign. So believe. That's Romans 9 and 10. These two chapters, Romans 9, Paul comes in saying, God will give mercy to whom he gives mercy. God will instruct, God will lead. So don't question God's judgments. A lot of Israelites have rejected Jesus. A lot of Gentiles have rejected Jesus too. So he says in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So believe, so, so come to him. This is the non-confusing reality of gospel doctrine. Believe in Jesus. Just, just believe in Jesus. You're worried? Believe in Jesus. You're stressed out? Believe in Jesus. You're anxious? Believe in Jesus. You got sins to confess? Believe in Jesus. You need to repent and turn from your sin? Believe in Jesus. You're wondering if you can ever recover from your past? Believe in Jesus. You wonder if you have a future? Believe in Jesus. Believe in your heart. 
Confess through their mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. He also says in Romans 10, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. You will not experience an ounce of shame with Jesus. Come to him. Make your allegiance known to him. That's what the word confess means. Confess that Jesus is Lord. This is what's so cool about the book of Romans. That is a political statement. In Rome, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And that word confess can also be translated, admit your allegiance. So now the Christian gospel comes in and says, our allegiance isn't to Caesar, isn't to being a Republican or being a Democrat or being an American or being whatever. Our allegiance is to Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead. A gospel-centered church won't cloud the gospel. And a gospel-centered church welcomes all people to the feet of Jesus. Confess and believe, come. It doesn't matter what sins plague you. It doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter what you've said. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've wanted to do but didn't, have, didn't even have the guts to commit the sin that you wanted to commit. No matter how you failed, God can save you and God can redeem your life. All you have to do is to believe today. Confess that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. You know what this gospel doctrine is meant to do in us? All this gospel doctrine, all coming together. Doctrine leads to worship. It leads to doxology. That's where it goes. That's where Romans 11 ends, in worship. And, and William Tyndale, who translated much of the Bible throughout history, he says the word euangelion, which is the Greek word for gospel, signifies good, mercy, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. That's what the gospel is meant to do in us. That's what gospel doctrine does. That's how Paul ends the book of Romans. And he says, oh, oh, the depths of the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God. God, as Paul writes all this gospel doctrine, he doesn't get to the end and go, now thanks for coming to my doctrine seminar. I'll see you next week. He ends with worship. God is amazing. Oh, the depths of the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God. That is a roller coaster yell of worship to God. And look at what he says, how unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his ways. When, when it seems like God is gonna zig, he zags. When it seems like God is gonna zag, he zips. He goes directions that we can't comprehend. Who would ever thought that the murder of his son would lead to eternal life for billions? God did. Who would have thought that a man from Nazareth raised from the dead could unite men and women and all races at his feet? Who would have thought that mercy would be the way? God did. Who has known the mind of our Lord? We can't figure God out. These are just the droplets of his mercy. Who's been his counselor? Who gives God advice? He doesn't need it from us. Who's ever given to God the God that we need to be repaid? God's got to pay us back. That God's in debt to us. That's not how it works. He says in verse 36, no, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything in this world leads us to realize it's all God's. All things are from him. Salvation, the church, your life, mine, this church, filet wrapped in bacon. It's all from God. They're all gifts from him. 
that goes through him. And look, it's all to him too. Not only does God give us these things, but how we take these things and we just ricochet with a boomerang back and praise to him. This is all yours, God. We praise you for it. We give thanks to you for it. You are the one. All things are for you. All things are through you and all things are to you. See, gospel doctrine isn't dusty. It's dynamite. A gospel-centered church gets to worshiping. A gospel-centered church gets their worship on. And if they don't, it's like, do you even theology, bro? You don't get it. Doctrine isn't dusty. It's dynamite for worship when it's done rightly to show you the goodness and kindness of our God and Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is gospel doctrine leading to worship. And the next week we see in chapter 12, it's gonna lead to a gospel culture. As he says, therefore, act as living sacrifices. Honor one another. Serve one another. And then we'll see gospel mission the third week where Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach Christ where he has not been named. See, beloved, God is making us into a gospel-centered church for North Houston and the nations. Let's get ready and let's be available to him because he will do it. Let's pray together.